You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church and the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I'm your co-host, PJ, along with now my missions partner and international partner in crime, Matt. In crime? Yeah, well, here's the crime that you committed. You made me travel in the middle of the night. That's the crime. So you definitely are guilty, very guilty. We did that in Egypt, too. I, I, I thought I told you about the little <laughs> Nally is not stuck. And so, you know, leaving at midnight. Yeah. Yeah. On a budget airline with, yeah. Anyways, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying you committed a crime. <laughs> so, Duly noted. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's great to have you. But we also have two, I would say, special guests. They are special, but but they're here with us yes. because they preached this past weekend. Yes. So it's the Dans. The Dans. I know, you know, never in a million years would we have ever thought God would have led us to hire two people, but with the first name Dan. Now, is that really like, so, all right, formally, is it Dan on your birth certificate? Mine's Daniel. Ooh. Daniel as well. (laughs) The two Daniels. Two Daniels. Like, unbelievable. my, My mama calls me Danny. Oh, Danny. Okay. You have any I, nickname out there? What does Marianne call you? Dan. <laughs> Dan. Everyone's called me Dan since like fifth grade. But that's awesome. All right. So formally on your birth certificates, both of you are Daniel. That's yeah. right. Wow. Okay. So never in a million years would I've thought that. But yeah, just, I mean, seriously, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I keep telling you, but I won't keep telling you, I'm so grateful to God that God brought both of you. Um, because Northland is richer because of mm. it. Oh, so, God. Thank yeah. you. But Amen. thanks so much for standing in the gap this weekend. But it was interesting because when I f- first was talking to Tom about having both of y'all speak, and he's like, well, what do you want to what do you want them to speak on? I said, well, probably the next generation would actually be be good just be, because I want Northland to know it's a huge primary focus for us. And so, mm. well, okay, well, you know, well, what do you want to call it? I, you know, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. You want to call it Dan Talks? And I said, discourses about next generation. And he's like, yeah, I like how your mind works. But given the fact that we had just did TED Talks, it was just in my mind. So, yeah, it's it. great when both of y'all's mm-hmm. names – Dan. I thought it was so, brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. I don't know how he came up with it. But. I haven't met Ted yet. I'm still trying to find him. <laughs> yeah. I haven't met Ted either. So maybe he's out there. Yeah. You know, maybe we're speaking that already over us. But, well, hey, guys, thanks so much for, again, uh, just your ministry here, your call. Um, and I'm going to turn it over to Matt and yeah. let him let him lead us in a dis- discussion. Great. Yeah, we're going to have a fun one today. What we're going to do is similar the to— The other ones aren't fun? Well— you know. Anyways, okay. Well, there you go. You committed, you committed two crimes, now, so I'm not even fun anymore. So, anyways, fun sorry. in a different way. Uh, you're, you're a little punchy today. Well, some of, yeah, you might wonder why I'm a little punchy because I'm <laughs> going on a few hours of sleep over the last couple of days. But neither here nor there. Go ahead, he take is, us away, folks. He's a delight to travel with. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So I know, yeah, crime number three. Well, so Dan, you, you know, Dan asked me, well, which Dan? Dan Elkins. Dan Elkins asked, how long does this podcast usually last? And just however long it does. But so Matt, Matt gets to experience what what very few people do get to experience. Okay. Because I want people to have limited engagement with this, Josh. 
and that is the poodle, Josh. Ah, yeah. And you're like, poodle, where did that come from? Well, my wife, Joni, because sometimes I can be a little high maintenance, uh. Uh, she'll call me a poodle. <laughs> and so be, be, because Matt has traveled with me internationally, he has experienced elements of poodleness. Now, I know what you're thinking. What what is some of your po- poodleness? Uh, you're not. I'm not telling you on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, so no you comment. Have to travel with me if you really want to know. Maybe you could ask Joe Curtis. And if you don't know who Joe Curtis is, then you won't you won't get to know what my poodleness is. So and at you, least yet. And they could ask Gus, but I don't think Gus will uh, will share. So no, no, Gus is very protective of his pastor. So yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm grateful. So we're so we're yeah, gonna have a yeah. fun one today. And uh, what we're going to do is is really similar to to the sermon. So we're going to take some time breaking down each of the Dan talks. Um, as a reminder, this was September second and third, and uh, and we did TED talks um, a couple of weeks ago. And these are Dan talks, discourses about next gen. So we're going to start with Pastor Dan Young's message, and um, and we can say this was the what and the how. This was in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. The main point was this um, uh, George Barna quote, in a race to the heart of a child, the first one there wins. And in uh, a few of the things we talked about, uh, moments matter. Um, and then we talked about three truths that every child should learn in the elementary years. We talked about three types of people our kids need to see in our church, and we had some final thoughts. So the first question I'll throw out to Pastor Dan Young is uh, something that stood out to me um, was your stories of intentionality. So I would love to um, you give me some advice. So um, young parents, what are some pointers um, you can give and, and maybe you others that you can give um, some parents with with young kids some pointers on how to be intentional. Sure. Thanks, Matt. You know, Pastor Josh really did a great job the previous week talking about uh, time Mm -hmm. and the amount of time that that really we have that that I would say maybe um, is unaccounted for in in our lives. And, you know, the reality of that is this. As parents, we have roughly 936 weeks from the time your child is born until they graduate mm. high school. Mm. So oftentimes when it comes to intentionality, whenever I get in front of a group of new parents, it's always start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what does that mean? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say to parents and I'll often put, um, you know, some paper or some cards out on the table of pens and say, when your child turns 18, mm. 19, whatever it is, and they're no longer under your roof, under your care, who would you like to see that child become? Yeah. Oh, that's you know, would you like to see them become a generous person? Would you like to see them faith-filled? Would you like to mm. see them uh, compassionate? And if those are the words that are written down on those cards, then we have to be intentional as parents to help create those habits or or uh, those those values in our children. You know, our children just aren't going to grow up to become generous all by them themselves, for the right. most part, right? Right. But if we practice generosity at home, mm. if we practice compassion at home, if we live lives that are faith filled at home, then our kids will see that. So where that comes in with the nine hundred thirty six weeks, 
And uh, even if you went into my office, they have a smaller version of it. But I do have a marble jar with 936 marbles in it. Wow. And a lot of times people say, well, how do you know there's actually 936? I said, well, that's what interns' jobs are for. <laughs> right? to, to, because I've spilled that, that marble jar on the, the floor of my car more times. Oh, than, you have? Oh, oh, yeah, all the time, you know. So, so you really have lost your marbles. I've, I've lost my marbles Multiple times. many times. In the two-seater. Yep, yep. In my little – with me and all my friends <laughs> me in my marble jar. <laughs> but, you know, th- those those marbles would rep- represent a week, right? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, uh, this weekend, I know as a father, you know, I'm not going to get everything right this week. Yeah. You know, there's going to be – there's going to be, you know, far too many times where I'm in meetings or I'm not home or I'm disconnected or I'm busy or I'm preoccupied. Mm. You know, whatever whatever comes up. But the reality is, as I pull a marble out of that jar and it goes from 936 to 935, I have to look at it and say, okay, well, what can I do this week intentionally mm. to help my children grow in their faith and, mm. and move further down the uh, roadway that we call discipleship? Now, my kids are a little bit older. So I have a, I have a 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. So they're, I'm in negative marbles. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have an 18, a 19-year-old now. Um, so that marble jar would have been empty for a year. And I have a 16-year-old that just has a few marbles left in his jar. And I'll tell you, the fewer marbles that are left in that jar, the more valuable each one becomes. Mm. The mm. more intentional mm. I want to be with, yeah. with the time I have. I'm blessed that all three of my kids still live at home. Mm. So uh, I've got those bonus marbles, if you will, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, extra time with my kids. But yeah. still – the the uh, practices in place that I want to be intentional with each of my kids somewhere throughout this week that's mm. going to help them uh, learn as a disciple. You know, I thought what was really interesting about that. I think some young parents they they get overwhelmed that everything has to be scheduled out. Mm. Like this is what I'm doing every night, thirty minutes before bed. And yes, there there's some planning that needs to take place with how you maximize the week. Mm. But I think what was so great about your message is just reminding us that those moments matter to just take the moments. And so sure enough, after lunch on Sunday, mm. my son wanted to ride back home with me and mom took the girls in the other car. And so you know, they said, well, if you go with dad, you know, you're going to have to have a conversation on the way home. And so, you know, my son was like, well, what do you want to talk about? You know, so it was it was good. How It's a good, a good reminder for young parents. Like, listen, yes, you do need to have something scheduled, but just take advantage of the moments that you do have and make sure that you when you're talking, that you talk in in in, in terms of scripture and the word mm-hmm. and, and don't just have a conversation about the boy that stole your dessert at lunch. Talk about what God would want you to learn from that lesson yeah what's what's interesting is when you look at deuteronomy 6 your passage moses is creating the intentionality for them Mm. that when you're doing all of these natural things this is what i want you to do right so like when when you wake up when you go to bed when you walk down the road what you put on your doorpost like everything again that and i think that's one of the things we've lost as as christians over the years is that we feel like we have to manufacture things mm. but but really the christian life is is organic it's as you live life and one of the things that i love about the whole idea of moments matter uh because we're going to be doing our advent series later on this year and we're going to call it memories of the advent and as Luke is investigating the really the first Christmas or Jesus's birth, he's having to talk to Mary. 
And Mary's probably, I mean, she's definitely older. Jesus has already uh, died, rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven. So it's probably somewhere around 40, 50 years after the fact. And she's pulling out from her memories these moments. And so if you can make sure that you live your life in some sense moments that actually matter, hmm. your kids, when they look back on their upbringing and their house, they're going to they're gonna remember these moments. They're going to remember these moments in the car. It was just, just me and dad because yeah. of his two-seater midlife crisis car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're going to remember those moments where, you know, my, you know, my dad would apologize to me if he messed up, mm. you know, because again, the, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of parents don't, you, you know, uh, I remember these moments whenever I had, you know, my, my, my dad didn't try to solve it. He said, let's take it to the Lord, mm. you know, so those moments of intentionality actually matter because they become memories that will matter. Mm. And so, so I, so I love that capture that you had with the, you know, the idea that moments matter. And the thing that I always tell parents, because Joni and I, we've had to learn this, that the Lord loves your children more than you love them. And let that sink in, you know. And so you cannot mess them up to the degree that God cannot fix them. Right. Now, but that doesn't mean that we just, well, I'm just going to live a life that's going to mess them up. No, no. Just think about if you live your life with intentionality and you build these moments that matter on top of the Lord's work in their life. Oh, my gosh. Mm. You, you know, so so definitely, uh, de- definitely a great concept to keep in mind. Well, and you nailed something there, Pastor Josh. I think it, you know, it's worth just repeating. I think one of the most intentional things that we can do as parents is apologize to our kids when we're wrong. Mm. You know, I don't mm. think it's 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 common culture today for parents to apologize to their kids. And you know, I've done that many times over the years, and you can almost see the impact mm. on their face. Um, you know, wow, Dad's apologizing to me. Well, yeah, you know what? Dad doesn't always get everything right. Dad messes up sometimes, and when I do, I'm going to own it, and I hope that produces in my kids a place when they make mistakes that they're quick to own it and apologize rather than deflect and try to move on from it. Mm-hmm. I think it's huge. Mm-hmm. What are some other – like so in – and this this question for both of you because, I mean, you both dads and stuff. All right, so obviously – particular moments where you're engaging can matter. But what are some moments that no words even take place, but that can matter in the life of your kids? Like what are, what are some other, those moments that are intangible, even nonverbal that can matter? Mm-hmm. So I think this is interesting when, when Moses was about to receive the 10 commandments, if you look at the passage of scripture, God says, come up to the top of the mountain and be here. Like, mm. well, if I came up to the top of the mountain, where else would I be, right? Mm. So when you read it in Scripture, it almost feels redundant. Well, come up to the top and be here. Well, if I'm remembering correctly, the Hebrew word is hayah, which is kind of a funny word to say. It's like a karate word. Yeah. Hayah. Hayah. I'm sorry. But uh, what it really means is uh, come up here and be zoned in, be focused, mm. because what's going to happen is uh, next will be very important. Mm. Mm. And I think that as parents, we can practice that haya, mm. 
when when we yeah. show up that we're intentional. We don't, you know, it's not always about these grandiose. We're going to go to Disney, or you know, I you know, I I messed up this weekend and said that yeah, I took my boys to a Yankees game. I don't think we have a single Yankees fan in Northland, <laughs> which hurts my heart. There's no, there's no snowbirds it, like here. I would have thought yeah. you they know, just didn't cheer. Yeah, they, yeah, they just kind of they're in hiding. Yeah, yeah <laughs> well, witness, this year witness protection, witness protection, protection yeah. program. Yeah. But I th- I think the most important thing that we can do is is just be present. You know, I mean, how many times we walk around a theme park even where we see people from overseas or from different states and they're walk they spent thousands and thousands of dollars on a vacation here with their family and they walk around and what's in their face? Mm. Their phones. Mm. Mm. And 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 you go, "Well, what what are you doing? You know, you're not even you're spending all this money. You have an opportunity of a lifetime in front of you mm. and you're not present." Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have wow. to be present. Two, two wow. things that came to my mind when you said that. One is, you know, how many times do my kids see me reading my Bible? Yeah. You know, how many times do they see me? Do they come down and see me reading my Bible? Do they just assume because I'm a pastor that I read my Bible when they're asleep or they're at school? Or do they actually see it? Not that we're talking about it, not that we're having a family devotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, it, it kind of piggybacks on that a little bit. I remember when I was a very young dad, very small kids, I, I listened uh, to a, a pastor preach once. And he, he challenged us as dads that uh, on your way home from work, just in your mind, think about you haven't clocked out yet. Huh. You've got you still got another job to do. And most of us that work full time, you know, we only have a couple hours that they're awake when we get home from work. And most people, when they get home from work, what do they want to do? They just want to be by themselves. They just want to watch yeah. TV. They just want to. And it's, so it's like not necessarily that you got to sit down. and. Ha- I mean, we do encourage parents and families to have family worship and devotions together and things like that. But yeah. just. Just having a mindset change of I'm not clocked out yet. Some of the most important things that I'm going to do over the next, you know, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours when I get home is engage with my kids and Mm. talk to them and hear and listen and, Mm. you know, and actually be present. Because, again, they may not remember what we tell them. But they'll remember that, yeah, dad, dad, whenever he got home, just kind of he wouldn't even engage with me versus just asking them how their day went. That's good. So I experienced that a little bit last night. So putting both of our daughters to bed, Kate's five, Paige is almost four. And about five minutes in, Kate comes out, Paige has already fallen asleep. And, um, and you know, bedtime can be a challenge. So um, in that moment, I decided against get back in your room, you know, and just kind of let her – because I'd been a, gone a week, just wanted to kind of see. So – she just sat there and we talked for like five minutes and she's my external processor. So it's helpful. So we'll know what she's thinking. Our younger one won't. Um, so that, so we get a, a clue into, um, into, you know, what she's actually feeling in that moment. And she just out of the blue said, thanks dad for having this conversation with me. Mm-hmm. Five-year-old. Yeah. And, um, and when we talk about this idea of, of intentionality, that's intentionality in the spontaneous moments too, not just the planned moments, but the spontaneous moments. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of, uh, of not clocking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to, we have to um, intentionally think that, right? Mm-hmm. We're not just going home to veg out. Yeah. We're going home to do a job. Yeah. Um, it's a different job, but it's, it's an important one. That's good. Yeah, the only uh, uh, two others that really kind of come to my mind is how you treat your spouse in front of them. It's mm. intangible. Yeah, yeah. And then actually how you treat Jesus' spouse, the church. Yeah. 
And hey, there was there was something that came to my mind today because I had I had breakfast with the elders this morning, and we were all sharing what's going on in our life. And one one of them started talking about like opinions or whatnot, and I wrote down this statement: opinions can be obstacles to our obedience. Hmm. And so sometimes like, you know, if we're given our opinions of something and they're very critical opinions, it can actually become obstacles to our obedience of the thing that God called us to do. So and the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of times we live in this kind of consumeristic mindset that we like to share our opinions about what we don't like about something. Hmm. And if and if we're sharing our opinions about something that Jesus loves, but we're tearing it down hmm. in our opinions, we can actually be, begin to create obstacles that hinder our children from obedience. Yeah. And so again, to make, you know, again, that's a kind of almost like an intangible because we're not thinking of even our, our criticism to how what we're saying could hinder our children from obeying Jesus in certain things. So, so that's where I'm like, you know, look at how you treat your your spouse, but also look at how you treat your uh, how how you treat Jesus's spouse. Yeah. So speaking of that, um, we'll move on to the second question for Pastor Dan Young. Is um, this message wasn't just focused on parents with young kids? Uh, it was really a vision for who we should be as a church, and I really appreciated that. Um, so for our our listeners, many of them um, don't have grade school kids, um, even don't have middle school, high school kids. They might have older kids. Um, maybe maybe they don't have kids, but we all have a part to play, um, really whatever stage we're in. So the question is, why is it, why is it important for the entire church? And, and Pastor Elkins, you even mentioned this too. Why is it important for the entire church to understand this and not just not just those parents with, with young kids, but for all of us? Well, that's a great question, Matt. Thanks for asking it. You know, uh, speaking of intentionality, mm. you know, when I sat down to write this message for this weekend, you know, knowing that it's discords about next gen and we'd be very focused on next gen, yeah. but not trying to lose the audience that's, you know, not the next gen audience. Yeah. So our older folks in yeah. the room, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, when I looked at the three things that every child should learn in elementary e- years, mm-hmm. really, I think that's three great practices for almost for all of us. Yeah. You know, um, mm. we, we need to know that we can trust God no matter what. Amen. Um, in fact, I think it's almost more important as we as we get older, because we're going to face different circumstances, different struggles, different things in life. Um and we need we need to know we can trust God, you know, no matter what. Yeah. Um, so even as I was writing this, um, you know, I, I didn't mention it, you know, on Sunday morning, but you know, uncommon sense helps us make wise decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very common today for for couples to cohabitate prior to being married. Yeah. That's very that's very very common. Yeah. Right. Um, that's not the common sense. I think that. Uh, that, that we need in the church, right? We want to live uncommon in in lots of our uh, decisions, you know. So I think those, you know, are far greater than just you know what we want our kids to know. Really, who we need to be as Christians. But mm. Um, mm. you know, I think the importance for the entire church, uh, you know, Pastor Dan Elkins, I nailed it mm. um, on the second one. It's there was a generation that loved God. There was a generation that kind of got lukewarm. Yeah. There was a generation that wanted nothing to do with God. 
Yeah. There was exile. We saw this time and time again. Mm. And when we look at the state of our country today, you know, we have to ask ourselves, where are we spiritually? Mm. You know, in my opinion, I believe we have become a post-Christian nation. Mm -hmm. It's uncommon almost anymore Mm. to, Mm -hmm. to be a person of faith. So it's so important for the church to recognize that it's not the role. And I love the way that Pastor Dan Elkin said it. You know, it's not about patting the next gen pastors on the back and saying, Hey, I'm praying for you yeah. as we're sending you off into battle. Yeah. But this is really like as a church, you know, we have to sound the alarm and say, there is so much at stake with this next generation mm. that if we don't share the stories of God's goodness, if we don't share, uh, you know, faith with this next generation, we will lose this generation. And that's not a Dan Young job. That's not a Dan Elkins job. That's not a Pastor Josh job. Mm-hmm. That is a church job that we all say, you know what? Uh, and I loved and, and 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 Pastor Elkins, you screamed it. Not on my watch. Mm-hmm. And, and I mm-hmm. loved it. Mm-hmm. And it really is. It takes, you know, where they say it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. Well, we've got hundreds and hundreds of children. Mm. So it's going to take a mm. – it's going to take all of us. I think one of the things that I, I would say, Matt, to our church as a whole and especially thinking about those older folks, mm-hmm. um, I do think a lot of people wish that the church was still the church of 50 years ago, like yeah. that the church still existed in a culture where church was a priority and everyone came but what you have to realize is, first of all, you know, that culture of we just attend church, it's a cultural thing to come to church every Sunday, didn't necessarily produce a lot of strong disciples because they saw the hypocrisy between what happened on Sunday and what happened on Monday. And especially with Generation Z, I mean, genera- this younger generation, they they want transparency. They want yeah. authenticity. Yeah. They don't want anything to do with anything that's fake. No. And so if the church at all seems fake, Not they don't want to have anything to do with it. So as a church, even the older folks, like you being real and authentic – not complaining about way things used to be, but like we want today to be a church full of faith followers that are passionate about Christ. That's going to communicate. And, and what I've also noticed is, yeah, they, they here's what I've I've noticed, and this is not only experientially, but also from like research uh, that you would think that sometimes it's almost a paradox is that they want to be so individualistic and focused on their, it's my truth, my truth. Mm -hmm. But they also want someone to, in some sense, be in their face telling them what is true. Mm. And and so it's almost like an oxymoron is that, yes, they want authenticity, they want transparency, but but they also sometimes feel like they just want to be their own. But no, they're, they're actually, they're willing to hear more, than what meets the eye. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's where sometimes I've even seen in my own family where, you, you know, you, you you might say something to your, your, your child, your teenager, and immediately they're like, you know, but they, they're processing it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do think of this, this, this generation is that they are processing it, even though it might have looked like they've rejected it at first. What's y'all's thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what comes to my mind 
when you were saying that is right. They they do want to come up with their own individual thoughts, but they're also very astute in listening to other what other people are saying. And sometimes you can you can say something that is not true, but if you say it in a very passionate way, it, it causes them to to listen to it. You know, and mm. um, so I, I think I think children and teenagers today. Um, they need to hear from us as parents, as as neighbors, as family friends, as church members. They need to hear why why is this such a big deal to us? Yeah. Why has God done that has changed our lives? Because if we don't, they they don't want just the lecture style, like just bore me with the facts. They they want to they want to hear it from yeah. the core of who you are. This mm-hmm. is you say they don't want the lecture style. Yeah, and and I would completely yeah I completely agree. And going back to this idea that we're post Christian nation, I, I I definitely think it's across the board. From uh, you know, sociologists, scholars, theologians. Yes, we live in a post-Christian, even a post-Christendom. You know, meaning that you know, in Christendom, everything centered around the church and what the church valued. Mm-hmm. No longer are we the center of culture anymore. Mm-hmm. So we not only live in a post-Christian, but a post-Christendom. But if you think about, you know, I, I want people to, I really want people to understand this. That did not happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It actually took centuries. And then even the last century, it you know, it's only taken about a hundred years for this to happen, but it has been intentional on the opposing end because all of life, all spheres of life, even how they educated. Mm-hmm. So from public education to public education in the universities. And then what you see in the earliest 20th century is that the church predominantly fled from academic institutions because they there was this bifurcation of sacred and secular. So the church, like I said, for the most part, fled academic circles. Well, so what happened is that secularism filled in the gaps. And so if you think about it, it was this long, in their eyes, obedience in the same direction that has led to a post-Christian, increasingly secular way of thinking and thus living. Mm. So if we're going to reach the next generation, it cannot just be from lecture style. It has to be from worldview and living out that in all in all realms of life, because if we can show them how the Christian faith is connected to being a teacher, how the Christian faith is connected to being a plumber, how the Christian faith is connected to be a doctor and a lawyer, how the Christian faith is truly connected to what it means to be a whole, healthy family, then what we are giving them is a living narrative in which they can base their life, their future life as an adult on. Mm. But if we neglect giving them a holistic worldview of what life is all about, then we will not not turn around this this generation. We because but some people would say we've already lost this generation to a degree because they're they're attending church less than millennials. Uh, you have now this increase in you know identity crisis. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they exist. They don't know really what you know in some sense what to classify them their gender as. I mean. They're, they're one big confused generation. But if we can start carving out what they can base their life on uh, holistically, then I believe that this, this generation, Gen Z, 
will be the turnaround generation for the future of the church mm. in the West. Mm. That's my thought. That's my that's my thesis, at least, mm. or hypothesis, not thesis. Mm. So, what I love what you're saying there because if it's Gen Z and then we're moving into Gen Alpha, what if it is Gen Z that's going to turn this thing around? And then we start all over again. Oh, look at that. Man, you're bringing in the – I love that. Gen Z to – yeah, because Gen Alpha is coming. But, but yeah, Gen Z, I mean the oldest Gen Z is what, 27? 27? 27. 26, 27. Okay, yeah. Numbers vary. Yeah, I knew it was the end of the the 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, So So right now what it looks like is is Pastor Elkins is is pretty much over Gen Z, Mm -hmm. right? Middle school, high school, college. Mm -hmm. And then Pastor Young is over Alpha, right? Right, grade school and below. My kids are in in Alpha, right? Yeah, that would, yeah, that yeah. would be yeah. So, so um, it's been a great conversation. I want to transition us now to Pastor Elkins' um, uh, message, and that was reaching a lost but found generation. And this was focused on Judges, uh, Judges two seven ten through twelve. And this was the story of what happened to the next generation. So, um, so after Joshua, what happened to the next generation? The uh, the outline you gave us, kind of three points. You said godly convictions lead to devotion and determination. You said distractions lead to disengagement and disobedience. And finally, change lives lead to serving and sharing. Um, so a couple of questions for you. The first one I'll start with. Um, you said, personally, I'm a living testimony of what God can do in a young man's life when a church makes the decision that they're going to reach the next generation. So can you t- talk a little bit more about the personal impact that previous generation had on you? I think that's yeah. a good place to start. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, personally, and I shared a little bit of this, but just a little more detail. You know, I yeah. grew up, thankfully, in a Christian home. My, my parents made the decision as young newlyweds, uh, mm. young in their, their marriage to give their heart and life to Christ. And so mm. when I came along, I, I had two parents that were Christians. Um, but, and so I, I remember getting a lot of, of, of the Bible taught to me as a, as a child. Mm. Um, but really it was when I, when I made the, you know, when I made the decision personally to follow Christ and then, and then got into a church that really was focused on reaching the next generation where, I really saw my faith take off. Mm. Um, it's one thing to know Christ uh, on a personal level, but then to actually be discipled. Um, I have found in my adult years that more and more believers miss that step in their life. They mm. did not have people that – I mean, yeah, there were people that told them that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you believe in him – you should not perish by everlasting life, but but how do I walk out my faith? And so yeah. I was blessed that I was a part of a church that really, and again, mainly started with our youth ministry, really focused on discipleship. And what I mean by that is not just showing up for a lesson, but actually having students engage in scripture on their own. I remember we had um, discipleship classes on Sunday nights that we would attend where I had lay leaders. These were other adults in the church that didn't even, you know, didn't teach on Sunday morning, but they, they met with a small group of us teenagers where we were asked throughout the week to study the scriptures on our own and answer questions and then yeah. come prepared to, to share them. Um, I mentioned going on mission trips, yeah. which was not just a one-week thing, but the preparation and preparing, being able to share my faith, being um, 
encouraged to share my faith, not just told to share my faith, but actually going with me mm. when we would have conversations, um, at putting, putting me out there to where I would start to share my faith. And so really when you look back now at, at what God has done in my life over the last 20 years that I've been a pastor, um, a lot of the foundation of what God did in my life started when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. And I'm sure that some of those volunteers uh, looked at those, you know, six, 12, you know, teenagers, and they probably sat there and thought, man, I don't know if I don't know if any of these kids are getting any of this. Like, I don't I don't know if this is a waste of my time. Yeah. And and there may have been I don't I don't have a, a record of what all 12 of us that were in that room, what all we've all become. But I know in my life, I can look back and seeing how. Um, it wasn't just the lessons on teaching the stories of the Bible, but it was the application and the personal um, at a young age, uh, really, that, that made a big impact in my life. Well, I love that story, and it and it's uh, such a great example of you know when we serve others, um, especially youth. I mean, we just we just don't know, mm-hmm. right? So, um, in your life, we have the um, the opportunity to see that perspective and to, in retrospect, look back on on the impact it's had. I mean, and I think, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, think about it and not just pastors. I mean, think about some of our greatest volunteer towel holders in our ministry. Think about um, missionaries that are on the field. Um, Think about Christians that are serving their life and their their occupation. If you asked all of those, right, I would have to think you're in the high 90s percentage that each of those people that as adults are living out their faith can trace back to people. That was another study that I didn't get a chance to mention in our in my sermon. But the study of, yeah, there's this study that we lose a, a high percentage of these kids that grew up in church. Well, there's also been studies about the ones that don't walk away and why yeah. they didn't mm-hmm. walk away. And the consistent factor is they had quality adults, not family members, but quality adults that poured into their life. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's, that's great. Uh, you know, you, you bring up judges. Mm-hmm. What What's the one of the biggest differences between Moses and Joshua's leadership is that Moses allowed, allowed Joshua to follow him. Uh, Joshua, according to what we know of Scripture, had no one following him. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, and so what we see at the end of Joshua is that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But it once once that that entire generation, as uh, after they died, there was not one that was was raised up to take upon that mantle. So in some sense, when you do not develop and invest your life into the like your life mm-hmm. into the next generation and have them come alongside of you, mm-hmm. then you do. And I think that and that's one of the things that we've learned. Like so think about it this way too. In in the church world, the average age of a senior pastor is fifty five plus. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing in just the senior pastor level of the church is that it is harder for them to give the reins of leadership yeah. to the next generation. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard for them. And so what you know, and again, this is this is a generation who can't even hand off like like some leadership responsibilities to those who are 30, 40 you know, years old. And so, so what you're saying is so true and why it's so needed for adults to, to say, you know what, I, I know it would be a, a sacrifice, 
for me to serve in children or students, but but we need that, mm-hmm. and we just don't need you to show up on just Wednesdays or Sundays. To we actually need you to show up during the week. And I know, you know, with the way our so so I know with the way our society is, that might be a little awkward. But that's where I feel like adults can ask for permission from particular, you know, from from parents. Hey, do you mind if I, you, you know, send a text or whatever it may be? I think yes, you can get permission. But they need mm-hmm. other adults in their life to speak into and to help that development. Well, and, so I really appreciate. And going back to the question you asked earlier about the kids' ministry and and what can every Everyone in the church. What role does everyone in the church have? Yeah, like listen, if you're if you're a senior adult, like there's a role for you. Mm-hmm. And again, it, you, you're thinking, thinking, well, these kids won't listen to me. Like I'm here to tell you that they will. I mean, I've been 20, 20 plus years in youth ministry, and most people have a false assumption that kids only want to hear from people that are five or ten years older than them. And the truth is, mm. if they have a sixty year old, seventy year old that actually wants to spend time with them and talk to them, like they will absolutely listen to that person. That person doesn't need to be cool for them to have a relationship with them. And so even if you're not even a a week-to-week leader, engage a a teenager or a child in the lobby of the church. Like engage them, talk to them, ask them. You know, try to find opportunities to develop relationships with other families. I had so many adults this weekend that said, well, yeah, my kids are all – Growing up in a house, oh, well, then find a younger family yeah. that you can not just help to teach the parent how to parent, but that you actually have a relationship with their kids. Yeah, some we, of my some of my kids, uh, some of the Christians that have had the biggest impact on my kids, the Elkins children, are people that just engage them on at Wednesday night supper or you know uh, talk to them. I, I feel a ministry brewing here of empty nesters signing up to. To in some sense engage families, maybe for date nights. I'll tell you or, what. Like I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're talking. Young families so, yeah. want that. Young families, yeah. we need it, and we just don't. Sometimes we don't know where to look. Yeah, and we, again, how, how many times have we said church isn't church isn't a, isn't a babysitting service? Well. <laughs> oh, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. if you if if, you, if I came over and babysat for your well, it's not babysitting. I'm not. My goal is not to come here and make sure that they don't hurt themselves while you go on a date night. It's mm-hmm. to actually like engage them and talk yeah. to them and and pour into them spiritually speaking. All right, I, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving <laughs> it. You know, we got some ideas being generated here. And, and what I what it makes me think of is is Pastor Young's uh you know first answer about intentionality. When, you know, with young kids, you look forward, hey, when they're 18, what do I want, you know, um, out of that? And, and as you look back and as you think about it, it would be intentional relationships with other adults, right? Healthy relationships with, with other adults. Well, then how do we do that? Yeah. How do we do that now? And, and to your point, Pastor Elkins, you know, those anybody, anybody, um, you know, successful, healthy in ministry, they wouldn't look back on their life and say, yeah, I did this Christian walk by myself. Mm-hmm. I did this all alone, and I was successful. Yeah. That's going to be the opposite, right? Yeah. Um, so so beginning with the end in mind and thinking about where we want to go, I think really helps us you know, reverse engineer, okay, what are some of the things we, we need to put in place now? Matt, can I just jump in on the the original question we had here too? Was, are you saying we got off base? No, no not, not even a little bit. I love it. I love it. My, my wheels are just turning. Uh, but you know, you, you asked uh, Pastor Elkins to talk about the personal impact yeah, that the yeah. previous generation had had, 
you know, and I would say Pastor Elkins and I grew up a little bit different in my mom came to Christ in the late 70s in the mm. Jesus movement. Oh, yeah. My father um, did not live a lifestyle that would <laughs> he would have easily become a Christian. Mm. So I grew up with a father that was in and out of prison mm. my whole life mm. until he died. Mm. Okay. So he ended up leaving the family when I was six. Okay. So I still remember clearly at six years old sitting out on a front stoop. We call it stoops up in New Jersey. Those are the front steps, the porch, you know. But I want to make sure. Sitting out of front. I have, I have been in Brazil all week, so maybe, yeah. yeah, I don't, yeah. Something changed since you were gone. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, you know, dad was supposed to come pick me up and, you know, take, take us to do something on a, on a Saturday. And, you know, I'd sit out there for four or five hours and my mom would finally come out and say, hey, Danny, come on back inside. He, he's not coming. Mm-hmm. And, and that's painful for, uh, you know, for, for a six year old. It's confusing. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but thank God for the church because the church stepped up in my life mm. in a time where I needed the church the most. And, and you know, I stayed uh, really um, faithfully with the church until I was about 14, started playing high school football, got involved with a crowd that, you know, was mm. doing the high school football stuff. stuff yeah. And um, – the church would show up to my games. The church would show up and pick me up after practice. Youth leaders would – like they would not give up on me. Wow. And I'll never forget when I was 20 and I won't I won't get into the whole story but ended up showing up at church. Uh, hadn't been there in years, probably five years. Showed up in church on a Sunday morning. My pastor, Jim Tate, he looked at me and, he, and just, just tears in his eyes. And he said, Danny, you're finally home. <sighs> and I'll tell you, I've missed church a Sunday since. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, you know, probably, uh, you know, 19, 20 years old. Yeah. And um, so the church, what I'm saying here is when you step up to to jump into a life of a young person, you have no idea what they're going through and what the outcome could be. Because I could honestly say I would not be here today mm. doing what I'm doing had the church not stepped up and been the church in my life. Mm. Pray pray about if you're listening to this right now maybe maybe god has put someone on your street maybe there's maybe there's someone in your family maybe there's a coworker that uh single mom you know and pray and ask god to just reveal to you who are some people in your life that you can just love with the love of jesus and try to pour because i can i can almost guarantee you your mom was your mom was super thankful for anyone and everyone that tried to pitch in and help and um and i would say while you're praying go get a bag of groceries or two yeah drop on that single mom's doorstep yeah it's gonna make more of an impact than you'll ever know yeah I think a com you know a, a common theme that i would say that i'm hearing from both of you and i could attest to this so who was who who was the youth pastor in your life? What was his name? Bob Magruder. Bob Magruder, and then Jim Tate. Jim Tate, Shane Hartsfield, mm-hmm. and there there's another one that I would say was a huge influence. But but those are all the commonalities that you have three guys yeah. uh, pursue Jesus in ministry, love the next gen, but but the commonality is we can literally like I mean I mean decades after. Yeah, I'm grateful for Shane Hartsfield. Yeah, like um, he gave me opportunities. He came alongside. He was there. He told me things that I didn't want to hear. There was times where we, we would get in yelling matches with one another. Uh, 
but and and um, he would always say you sorry sucker you, you know and I so if anybody wants to know where I say you sorry okay. sucker from that that's uh, Shane Hartfield but he loved Jesus and he and he poured his life into uh, teenagers wow and yeah for me Kathy Rexroad she was our youth leader and uh, she was like our second mom for for many 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 of us we were over at her house um, weekly for Bible study and um, and yeah she gave many of us leadership opportunities within youth group and, um, and has had an incredible impact. So it's great. Um, so next question for Dan Elkins is a, a quote. You said, how can we take it to the nations if we don't start with our own man, you were on a roll. <laughs> you were, uh, you were hitting us hard. Um, and it was uh, it was incredibly passionate and uh, convicting. So, can you share more about that comment? How, how can we take it to the nations if we don't start with our own? Yeah, I think it it comes from this idea. I don't know very many Christians that wouldn't say that you know we're supposed to share Christ with the world. I mean, yeah. the Great Commission is very clear. Yeah. Every church, every denomination, you know, they, it comes up. This is our command to go to all nations and 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 make disciples. Um, and so, what this? But what has happened? I believe some some in the church is we have, unfortunately, we have, in many times, tried to pass that responsibility on to other missionaries or mission organizations. That is, yeah. as long as I'm giving money. And 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 sending other people to go do the Great Commission, then I'm somehow obeying Christ's command. When yeah. in reality, that command is a very personal command to every follower of Christ that you are to go. Now, ultimately, one person cannot, you know, themselves share with what is it now eight billion people. Mm-hmm. But what that what he is saying there is he's saying. Anyone and everyone that you come in contact with, and you you can't have this idea of reaching the nations if you're not willing to reach anyone and everyone that you come in contact with. Yeah. Um, and so, and even within the church, man, I know you do a lot here at, our, at Northland with our missions. You know, we we have a passion as a church not to see you just go on a mission trip right. to Brazil or yeah. wherever. We we want you to be lifelong missionaries wherever God has sent you. And some days God doesn't send us to Brazil. Some days God sends us to Publix yeah. or sends us, you know, to the park. Yeah. And we are to to reach the nations wherever we are. And, and we have to be very careful with um, taking our dysfunction here and shipping it around the world. Right. So. Um, so if we are sending people there, how is it, you know, being lived out in their life here? Um, and and that's something that we can we yeah. can challenge and, each other with. And let's face it, right? I mean, I mean, America. If you look in history, America has over the less than three hundred years we've been a nation, right? Has sent missionaries around the world, and then most of us know within the last couple dozen years countries are starting to send missionaries here yeah. uh yeah. but but again it, it it's because of the, i think it has some to, some to do with this mindset of well we'll go there but what are we doing in our own homes yeah. what are we doing in our own neighborhoods well yeah the uh you, you know in the i mean 1700s 1800s there was this idea that mission happens overseas yeah and that evangelism happens at home, but that was just a misunderstanding of of mission and evangelism. Like we were teaching 
church leaders in Brazil this past week is that when you look at mission, mission is really the mission of God. It's the overall uh, purpose and aim to which God has in the world is that he is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples. Mm. And he's obviously redeeming through Jesus, his his son, his death, and his resurrection. Missions is the activity of sharing and showing. So there is a demonstration, but there's but there is also a proclamation, and that's where evangelism comes in. Is that we evangelize to everyone, everywhere? Mm. Is that we're inviting people into the good news story of King Jesus? And I think that's part of where a misunderstanding of the church on mission and part of mission is evangelism plays. You know, plays a role. But I remember a a pastor uh, told you know, and this is what he would constantly say. But the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. Yeah. See, if we can't do mission and evangelism in our own area, in our own community, we have no business doing mission and evangelism in Brazil, amen, or Kenya or Uganda or the Middle East. I mean, we really don't like that's just that's just taking a glorified divine vacation. <laughs> so if we can't do it here, and, and yeah, so uh, but in some of those places it would be vacation. But nevertheless, I you know I, I really like that. How can we take it to the nations if we don't start with our own? And so, and, and that is part of the the going and coming in um, because there's the. You know, in science, they talk about the uh, centripetal, the going out, the centripetal is coming in. Mm -hmm. And so where that magnet, you know, when you think about the centripetal, the drawing in, that's going to that's going to be the most powerful the closer you get to home. Yeah. You know, but the but the the most powerful magnet is the strongest at the center, mm-hmm. and so in, ter- in terms of the gravitational pull to that. But so how far we're going? And then that, think about it also this way: that a church that does not do mission well here would actually not necessarily do mission well out there. No. That's why, like you know, so uh, Dan Elkins and I, we come from more of the Southern Baptist uh, background, and where churches got their mind wrapped around mission is, oh, we give money to the cooperative program or we give money yeah. to missions, but we don't have, no, no, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait. No, you have a responsibility of doing mission where you are. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot subcontract out mission. Amen. And so that's why every every believer, we, we, we talked about this in Brazil, every believer is a missionary. Every believer has been called to live on mission that's why it's so important to raise up the next generation to be sent out as missionaries. And here's the thing. They may not be sent out to go to Brazil, go to Egypt, go to Uganda, but they but they may be sent out to be a teacher in the public schools, yep. uh, a lawyer, yep. uh, a prison guard. They might, I mean, so, but they, they need to understand that they are sent out. And that's why I'm grateful for having both, both the Dan's here, you know, because they get that. Amen. They're, they're going to devote their, their, I mean, they're called to that. Amen. And, and, and I'll clarify too, start if we don't reach our own nation. I, I didn't have time to, to explain, but, you know, statistics for decades and generation after generation is, you you reach the the next generation. I mean the the yeah. younger people, the children and teenagers are most likely to when they hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and and become disciples. Yeah. That doesn't mean we don't witness to mm-hmm. anyone everywhere. You know, everyone everywhere. But 
there has to be a focus on reaching yeah. the next generation. So how can we take it to the nations if we don't start with our own, start with our own nation, our own community, but also our own kids in our community? Yeah. Awesome. And I think we need to change our mindset, too, that we just live on mission. Yeah. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart often is, you know, in a crowd, I'll look at someone and I'll think, I'll never see that person again. And what if this were the opportunity? What if this were that 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 chance? You know, I've got a a, a friend named Todd, and Todd, <laughs> you know, you really almost can't go anywhere with Todd. So so back in July, I had to pick him up from the airport and get him to a speaking engagement for a camp that I was running. And so you know, time's a little tight. <laughs> so we pick him up at the airport, get to the hotel. And he just starts engaging in conversation with the two gals working at the hotel. Yeah. And part of me is going, okay, Todd, <laughs> we, we're on a time thing. And he, he just it doesn't care. Mm. Like whoever's in front of him in that moment mm. is the most important person. And he knows that that's his opportunity to share the love of the mm. Father with that person. Mm. And it's not about making it to a speaking engagement on time or you know getting here or doing our thing. But sometimes we just need to, to slow down and stop. And who's God putting in front of us? Are, are we going to live on mission that day? There might be somebody listening to this podcast right now. They're working out and there literally might be somebody there in the gym. Yeah. Or you know, there may be, again, somebody at your office or in your neighborhood. I don't want to miss those opportunities. That's great. Because moments matter. Because moments, moments matter. matter. You see I like how you, how you see did how, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Woo, you just got to look circle. for your opportunities. I look for it. So as we wrap up, I want to throw one more question to, to each of you. Um, I'm sure we'll get into to more of this in the coming months. Um, but talk about your call to Northland. Um, we'll we'll have each of you share. So just in a few minutes, um, start with you, Besser Elkins, um, you know, how – how God moved in, in yeah. your life to bring you here. Yeah. So, you know, I just got here to Northland, you know, a month ago. Um, the, the call to Northland came a few months before that. Um, you know, when I, when I answer that question, why am I here? I'm here because I wholeheartedly believe that um, God has a group of um people here in central Florida that God wants me to, to pastor, to shepherd, to witness to. Mm. Um, and so just a little bit, you know, again, I was, I was called to ministry, full-time ministry when I was a junior in high school, um, went to college in my mind, preparing myself for future ministry. And in the process of graduating from college and, and getting into to ministry, really got a call in a sense to be a youth pastor mm. and, and a call to youth ministry. And I surrendered to that call. Uh, that was 19 years ago, um, almost 19 years ago to the day. Um, and I've been you know, serving my life since then in the next generation, specifically when it comes to youth. Mm. But it was about six months ago that uh, God began to just have a stirring in my soul that, uh, that there was a new a new group of families and students that He was calling me to. I didn't know where that was mm. in the country, in the in America, outside of America, uh, in the Southeast, outside of the Southeast, uh, just to open to mm. whatever God was doing, and. Uh, 
I, I have a little bit of a relationship with Pastor Josh and Pastor Derwin here at Northland. They, I had taken students on mission to to their churches previous to Northland, mm. and we had just stayed in touch with each other. And it was Pastor Josh uh, who called me and said, "Hey, we've been praying for someone to come and lead our next generation, um, specifically someone over student ministry, and and we've known you for a long time, and we would ask if you would pray mm. and sense of God is calling you here." And so, over a number of months, not just myself, but my wife and my kids, because yeah. again, it's not just me by myself that's here. It's my whole family. Uh, we just prayed and asked God to show us uh, where he wanted us to serve, where our ministry needed to be. And over a matter of weeks and, and months, uh, he made it abundantly clear that we were supposed to be here at Northland. So we uh, we said yes to that call and, uh, and then began preparing ourselves to move our family yeah. uh, from Northeast Florida to Central Florida. And that's how we're here. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. Yeah. All right, Pastor Young. Well, I'm just thrilled that you're here, Dan Elkins, mm-hmm. and uh, to get to do this life with you and and mm-hmm. be a next gen is just uh, just a mm-hmm. joy. Mm-hmm. So thrilled that you guys are here. Uh, really, for for uh, for the Young family, um, I would say Matt, it started back in 1998. Oh, you know, our not so much our call to Northland, but our journey to Northland. You yeah. know, my wife and I. Uh, we're just married, and uh, we, uh, as many people do, we took our honeymoon to Disney. Mm. And um, knowing that we were going into kids' ministry, we just looked around and we said, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to live in a city that has such an emphasis on kids but bring the gospel into that? So we yeah. knew wow. from, um, you know, from 1998, we both felt a very strong call to Orlando, Florida. And there were there were several times um, in our in our young married life um, that we had opportunities to move here, um, and then they just never really panned out. Mm. And really, we we you know what we understand now looking back is, you know, we were young, we had kids, all of our family lived up north, you know, to uh, to take grandbabies away, you know, yeah. from the north, and move down here. Just wasn't the right timing. But uh, about ten years ago. Um, uh, we're invited to come down to be on a staff here in Orlando of a church, uh, Discovery Church, and uh, maybe more than 10 years ago now. Yeah, it's 10 years. We moved down here in 2013. Mm. So um, – and, and had a great, great experience at Discovery. Loved yeah. being there. Yeah. Um, it was just a wonderful time. Uh, towards the end of our time there, we had uh, an opportunity to – to go help launch a church mm. here in Orlando. And it seemed like that's what the Holy Spirit was asking us to do. So my wife and I had moved out of Discovery, went and helped uh, launch a church here. It's still doing uh, well today. Uh, but it was just this past January, after about two and a half years of of being with the second organization, that um, one of the practices that, that Jen and I have, um, and, and we'll do it every year, is in January, we just ask the Lord uh, – is this the ministry that that you'd like us for to continue mm. uh, for the next year? Mm. And uh, and it was very clear in January that the Lord separately spoke to both Jennifer and I and said no. But He didn't answer the rest of the question. The question <laughs> like, okay, well, then where are we going? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so so once we you know heard from the Lord in January, by February we were uh, already talking to. Uh, Multiple churches, many of them around the country. Yeah. For some reason, California kept coming up. Uh-huh. And, uh, mm. you know, but we just felt 
that our calling is here to Central Florida. Mm. And um, mm. so we were just processing through and praying and, you know, having conversations with other organizations and, um, you know, all very favorable. Uh, and then it was actually a, a close friend of mine who saw the posting online mm. and sent this to me and said, hey, have you seen this? Mm. And I said, no, but as I read it, it just – it just resonated in me that, that mm. Northland was was the right place. That's awesome. And so we reached out to Northland. I unfortunately I didn't have the ins that that uh, Pastor Elkins had. You know, uh, we we had known some of the former staff, and you know we would yeah. come out here for special events. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we weren't unfamiliar with Northland. We're very familiar with Northland. Um, uh, but you know, as as the Lord does, He just went before us. He went before the Elkins. Yeah. He went before the Youngs. Yeah. He made a way that that really seemed like there was no way that it wouldn't. You know. Yeah. And uh, what God's doing here is absolutely beautiful. So, you know, we feel just really strongly called to to Central Florida, to Orlando, and just thrilled uh, to be part of the staff here at Northland Church. Amen. Well, welcome. Um, well, thank you both for this conversation. Thank it's you. been uh, it's been fun to to dig into a little bit more of uh, of both of your Dan talks. Yeah. Uh, well, Northland family and friends, um, as always, it's a privilege for you to uh, to join us as we dig deeper. Um, we pray that this was uh, an encouraging conversation, a uh, a challenging, maybe even a convicting conversation. Um, but keep coming back as we continue to to uh, grow and learn together. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode. 